one of the things that I've been starting to do and, and tell you and share with you is that a sermon, whenever I write a sermon, its purpose is to do three different things. The first purpose, does anybody remember what that is? It is in, the, in, in no particular order. It's this, to present Christ at the center of the teaching. So Jesus is the center of all that we do, all that we believe. It's the center of our church. So Jesus must be presented and lifted up. Number two, number two is to give you language to better understand and move and live in this world. So in other words, sometimes when we get to the really, and I, I mean, this is going to sound weird coming from me, so if you're our guest, come back a few more times and you'll kind of get our personality. But the, the second thing that it's supposed to do is to give you an understanding of the way the world works and the way you as Christians and me as a Christian should actually move and function in this world. So in other words, the really boring parts of the sermons are usually some of the most important parts. Can I say that? I, come on, I know that sermons can seem boring at times, can seem boring at times for whatever reason. Maybe our minds are you know, com competing with different things in our minds. But it's supposed to help us to understand what does it truly mean to be a Christian in the world around me. It's not just about theology and new points of view, but it's about how, how does this actually apply to who I am. And, and usually that's the context that we give. And then the other thing, the third thing that a sermon should do, it, it should call you to action. It should call you to do something that is different than you have been doing. Um, they say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and what? Expecting different results. So a sermon is supposed to get us out of our routines and out of our patterns and kind of challenge us and force us um, to do something different in light of what we have learned from Scripture. So I want to begin with this. The, the, the verse that was read just a few moments ago says, My grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my strength is perfected. But the truth is, is that for some of us, maybe for all of us at one point in our lives, it almost seems as though Christ's grace isn't sufficient. How many of you, and you don't have to raise your hands, but if you are anything like me, there have probably been times in your life when things are going not the way you wanted them to go, and it's like, God, I love you, but you're just not cutting it right now. How many of you ever felt like that? Have any of you ever felt like you know you should trust God just a little bit more, but you find it really challenging because of what you're going through? Yeah, that's what we call life on earth because of sin. I, in, in my job, I get to meet a lot of people, I get to know a lot of you, and no one I have met yet has their life perfectly put together like they want it. Is that true for the most part? Everybody has problems and they're different. So for a Christian, problems are just a part of our life. It's how we go about dealing with them that is different from other people. So let's learn about that. So let's begin with a passage in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to see if I can convince you that God's grace is enough. All right? It'll be your decision at the end. But here's where Paul begins. He says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Another Bible translation might say in earthen vessels. In other words, Clay is, it's not very valuable, is it? Clay is the kind of thing that it, it's, it, for all intents and purposes, it's kind of just dirt. A special kind of dirt that you can make into cups or mugs or bowls or whatever it is. But clay isn't very valuable, is it? Is it as valuable as gold or silver? Is it as valuable as copper? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming copper is pretty valuable because, you know, those thefts that are going on. 
Yeah, so clay is like the low, clay is dirt. Clay is the lowest denominator. And yet Paul, the writer of the Second Corinthians, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. What he's saying is, as humans, we are made from the dirt. We are clay. We are mud. But there is a treasure that is within us. I've met a lot of people in my short-lived life so far. And one of the things that people do really well is they can name all of the things they're not very good at. But they are not good at naming all of the things they are good at. Does that make sense? So people know their weaknesses, their failures way better than they know their strengths and weaknesses, than they know their strengths and the things they're good at. When we interviewed, or when I interviewed our new youth pastor who will be preaching next Sabbath, so you'll want to be here and make funny faces at him. I don't know. He's going to love me for that. He's here today, but he's at You Matter Ministry. Um, but when I, when, I, when I interviewed him, I, I asked him, tell me what your strengths are. Tell me what you're good at. And, and I think he was expecting to also then, what are your weaknesses? Guess what? I'm not too concerned about people's weaknesses because in the church and in God's reality, we want to keep working on our strengths because it's our strengths that will actually make a difference in the world that is around us. But we're not good at that. We're not very good at focusing on our strengths because we're always trying to work on our weakness. But Paul says we have a treasure even in our broken bodies. And he says to show that this, wait, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Within each one of us, we have this infinitely valuable power that is within us. Now, that sounds new age and mystical. I don't want to get any emails from you, okay? Paul is saying that within our bodies, there is a surpassing power that doesn't come from within, but it comes from where? From God. God implants this thing, whatever, however God chooses to formulate that within us, and it is powerful, and it comes from God. So within our broken bodies filled with ailments and diseases and all sorts of things, there is something that is eternally beautiful and good. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that all of this surpassing power is from God and not from us. Paul says we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Now, this is a guy who was imprisoned, beaten, um, pushed off a cliff, right? Not off a stage, off of a cliff, and somehow survived. This is a guy who would run literally for his life. This is a guy who experienced actual persecution. Not just gossip at the office or gossip at the church. It wasn't just, oh, well, she said this or he said... No, this, was, this guy was literally running for his life. It was so bad that at one point he says, I, it would be better for me if I did die. That's what he said. Like, we've all felt that, I'm sure, at some point in our lives. Like, it would be better if I was just dead because this is too hard. And yet, within this, he says, but we have this power that is within us. And because of what God is doing within our lives, it doesn't matter what we are going through. No matter how hard or how difficult or how painful it is, it doesn't matter. We have this surpassing power that comes from God. And if it comes from God, it cannot be extinguished. If it comes from God, then there is nothing that can extinguish the fire of God's presence 
in our lives. And so he says we are hard-pressed, literally and physically, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. This is in the age before we have medications to help us with everything, right? Now, if there's a problem, what do we do? We go to the doctor and we get medicine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We need it. That's fine. But this was before all that. This was when they all they had, the only medicine that they had, is to learn to, to lean on the power of God. So the first question that I would pose to you is, what would your life look like if you learned to come to Christ for everything first? You might be surprised at the difference that it makes in your life. We keep going. Listen, listen to what Paul says. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So this is where scripture gets kind of funny at times, right? They, the Bible writers use imagery that, that in 2013 is kind of odd for us, right? Death is something that is horrible. We don't like it in 2013. But what Paul is saying, he says, we carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus. In other words, with us, always, we are reminded that Christ died so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. He says, we carry this. But with the death of Christ comes Jesus' resurrection. And with that, we know that no matter what obstacle we face, even if it's physical death, we await a resurrection. So what Paul is saying is no matter how difficult or how bad what we have here is going on, and, and, I, and I know for them it was pretty bad. Like, I've gone through some stuff in my life, but I've never feared death. I have never feared being beaten. I cannot even imagine that. I've never yet been imprisoned. If there's wood around here. <laughs> Don't do anything and you won't go to jail. <laughs> and yet Paul says, nothing, nothing, nothing is going to get in the way of us living what is called a resurrected life. The resurrected life is when you know that no matter what is going on in the world around you, I mean, we're, if we look at the news, the whole thing with Syria, and then, you know, the, the bad Korea, whichever north or south it is, and all this stuff, if we let ourselves, we'll get so sucked into all the negative and all the bad stuff that is going on, and sometimes that'll even choke out the power and the presence of Christ in our lives. But Paul says, no, you, you remember daily that Jesus died for you. He forgave you. He made you complete. And then God does the impossible, and he gives Jesus his life back. It's called resurrection. And if God has the power to do that for Jesus, then he has the power to do that in your life. God can and will often do the impossible in your life. Is that good news? And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, is like, I'm not even worried about all this, because the God who I believe in and worship and glorify raised someone from the dead. And if he did that once, then I believe in a God who can do the impossible, and I believe that God will do the impossible. And he continues. This is all part of the same paragraph. For we who are, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We are always given over to death. Another way of putting this is this. We put our own selfish desires to, to death so that what we actually are doing in our daily life is actually serving God and glorifying God in everything 
that we do. Does that make sense? Does this make sense to some of you? If you're a guest and you're lost, please talk to me after. I will gladly sit with you. It's not lost on me that Bible writers use certain kind of language that can be difficult um, for us to understand. But we are always given over to death for Jesus' sake because if we can die to the selfish desires in our lives, then what will be birthed in us is to do what God's will is always. And if you do what is God's will, your life will always be more fulfilling and better. The problems don't go away. We've already discussed that. The problems hardly ever go away. Some problems go away, but there'll always be something else. But as long as we are surrendering our lives to Christ, he will make all things better. Therefore, so this is the last section of this pericope. By the way, pericope, someone asked me what that was. It's just like a passage that is together. Does that make sense? So like a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs, but that go together. So we try to do that as often as we can here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an, ex- an is that external glory, and I think that's eternal glory, that far outweighs them all. In other words, no matter what you're going through, what you've gone through, what you will go through, it's temporary. Everything will pass, right? How many of us have ever heard, this too shall pass? And that's always true. Our only task is that while we are in the storm, we must continue to anchor our house in the rock that is Christ. And if you do that, you will survive the storm and you will be stronger for having gone through it. God doesn't bring the storm. I don't believe that. I know there's passages in the Bible that may allude to that, but I think that God doesn't bring the storms in our lives. They come because of sin, because of evil, because the devil, because we make really bad decisions sometimes, I don't know. But when we pass through that, you will be stronger for having faced it and being anchored in Christ. So he says we do not lose heart. Even though everything is falling apart, even though the walls may be closing in on us, we we do not fret because this is momentary. And one day we will live in eternal glory and bliss that will far outweigh even the worst of your circumstances. That's a good promise. This is coming from a guy who would ultimately give his life for what he believed in. We haven't had to make that choice yet. So we go on. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is on but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. For what is did I just double that? Huh, that's weird. <laughs> we fix our eyes, on essence, on God. How many of you have ever actually seen God? Don't raise your hand because people are going to be like, what? I'm not talking about in your dreams. I'm not talking about anything. I don't, I, I don't doubt for a moment if you've had an experience with God that it's true. I don't doubt that for a moment. But I've never seen God. I've never seen God. Um, and yet, deep within my soul, there is there's something that was perhaps implanted there from creation that yearns for that presence of God. And we always know when God is present. Maybe it's not until after we pass through a situation, but God's presence is revealed among us. And so we must learn to fix our eyes on God. And we do that primarily by reading scripture and by hearing the stories 
of what God has done in the past and what God can do for us. The reason that the Bible is important for us to read isn't because it's magical, right? If you read your Bible today, it doesn't mean that your day is going to be any better. Does that make sense? If you, if you read your Bible today, your day may still be horrible. It's not, we don't read it to make our day better. That's superstition, and we don't believe in that. We read it because it centers us. It centers our house or our being on the rock that is Christ, and it, and it creates a foundation that is unshakable. That's why we come to Scripture. There's no magical power that comes behind it. That's, that's not what we believe. The magical power comes from God. <laughs> we, we want to call it magical. We, we focus on God, and we put our faith and our belief in Him because we know that what He has done in the past will be done for us, too. And so there's a couple more passages. And so the, the really famous one that we all probably have heard of is in faith is being sure of what we hope and certain of what we, what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Our hope is knowing that what we may not be able to see with our eyes is still true. It's what Paul alludes to when he says it doesn't matter what we're going through. The power that surpasses all of that is within you. So the next time that you may be going through something in your life and the obstacles seem insurmountable, remember that no matter how big that obstacle or that mountain or whatever that thing is in your life, the power of the one who is within you is greater than that. So to give an analogy that might make sense to some and completely not to others, there was an, I don't know how old I was, I must have been seven, eight, nine, ten years old, and it was, it was after the first Nintendo, so whatever Nintendo came after the first Nintendo. Which one was it, Nintendo, is it Super Nintendo? Maybe it was that one, I can't remember. I never got, we only had Nintendo and that's all. There was this like myth that if you played video games on your good TV at home, that it would, it would mess up the TV. That's what my parents would tell us. And I, I was, so we had a 12-inch black and white TV. And I, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. Then why would they make these things, you know, these Nintendos? But there's this one game in there where I think it was one of the Mario games, the Super Mario games. And it was one where if you, there, there was times where you would come to an obstacle. I know this is so corny, but just go with it. There, there was a place where you, you would come to an obstacle and you couldn't really jump over it. Like, you, you, I was like, how do you get over this? And there was a trick where you would, like, hold down the down and then push, like, two buttons or something and then, you know, spire, you know, like, jump really high. I know this is a really bad explanation, but there was a thing you would do. I never, I never, horrible at video games, so I never really got it down. I always had someone else do it for me. But, but it, was, it, was, it was that no matter how big that obstacle was in this game, and they were all different sizes, this little trick, like the computer would just know to send you flying over that obstacle if you did this little trick on the joystick correctly. That's what God somehow does for us. It's like the Super Mario super jump of the spiritual world. That God somehow finds a way to show us that no matter what is in front of us, God will ultimately catapult us over that. And then the only way that we can go through whatever storm you're going through is to know that there is light at the end of it, sunshine is coming, and the rainbow will shine forth. And that's a reminder that God is ultimately in control of all things. But I'm not done yet. I have two more passages, okay? 
continuing with the book of Hebrews, that says, so this is after um, chapter 11, where it's all of the stories of the faithful people in the Bible, and this is the last two verses, and it says, these, all these people of faith, were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God has planned something better for us, that only together with us would they be made perfect. So all of these people, all of these Bible heroes, the people that we preach about, the stories we tell to our kids, all of these people, you know, we, we sometimes look at their story and we say, well, if only, you know, I was like David and God would help me to slay a giant like Goliath, then my faith would be stronger. If only I was like Peter and I could walk on water. If only I was like, um, I was going to say Samson, but that's a really bad analogy. Um, <laughs> that's a story of what not to do ever. <laughs> If I was like Moses or Gideon or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, if I had those experiences as we have in the Bible, then I would have more faith in God. Then I could be more faithful person and then life would be better. The problem is all of their lives had some really horrible failures in it for the most part. Yeah, not all of them. And yet what we see here in the book of Hebrews is that we, we always want to be like them. And yet the writer of the Hebrews says, but God has planned something better for us something better for you and for me, but they can only be realized. It can only be a, like a reality if we are together with God. Is that powerful? Whatever the Bible writers experienced, you could experience the same power of that God in your life today. And according to Hebrews, it is better than what they experienced. That's the kind of life I want to live. They say, um, here's what I say. You know you're living the Christian life well if the people around you think you're naive and totally disconnected from reality. I, is that weird or what? I hear your laugh, so I look over here. I once had a conversation with a lady. I don't know if I said this last week. I was once having a conversation with a lady. We were going on a field trip, and it was, it was around the time of politics, and so it was an election, I think, from, yeah, the, not the last election, but I think the previous maybe the last election i don't know anyway we're talking you know people get heated about politics whatever i don't like to talk about politics but we're talking and i start you know kind of like well this is what i think and this is what i think and this is what i think and she's like well that sounds so she's like naive I'm like okay i'm like i'm just trying to tell you that my life is informed by the scripture and so i and i'm just trying to say like this is what i see jesus teaching this is what i've dedicated my life to this is why I serve in the local church because I believe we're, we're the only hope for our communities, you know. Without strings attached, we're wanting to make a difference. I said, so my life, I try to inform it using scripture. And I said, I'm like, so you may think I'm naive and disconnected and, oh, well, that's not going to work. I'm like, but that's what scripture teaches us. And, and I think that we allow so many other ideologies to hijack the way we see the world. And what we should be doing is going to Scripture. That's why sermons are so important, because it's supposed to give us language about how we must move and breathe and have our being in this world. The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. It tells us to forgive when everyone else tells us to seek revenge. It tells us to be kind when the core of our being wants to be mean kingdom of God is upside down. You are doing, you are being the Christian, the person that God is calling you if people look at you and they think you are naive and completely out of touch. You, all you have to say is good. You know why that's true? Because Christianity is a faith of idealists. 
someone dies so that you don't have to pay the consequence for all of the horrible things you do in this world. That's idealist, right? The central story of our faith is that somebody lays his life down and then is resurrected. That's impossible. We're idealists. And I think we only begin to experience the fullness of Christ when we begin to realize and say, yeah, I put my hope and my faith in the God that can do the impossible. God has something planned better for us. And I think there's one final verse where Paul, same guy, says, my grace, we're talking about God, God's grace is sufficient for you, for God's power is made perfect in weakness. So if you feel like you are at the place where you can, can't give any more, where you couldn't possibly go any lower than where you're at, that's probably the best place to be because it's only in that moment where God's power is made perfect. In your body that is made of dirt, from ashes we came into this world in essence, to ashes we will go, from dust to dust. It is God's place. It is where God chooses to, within you, demonstrate his power. So if you feel like you have nothing more to, to give, that is the most beautiful place to be because it is only within that place where God can create and can make perfect his strength. That's an idealistic kind of faith, isn't it? And yet that is what our scripture teaches us and tells us is true. So I guess the question that you have to wrestle with now is, is God's grace sufficient for you? And I would, and I would close with this. No matter what it is that life throws your way, we can be a witness to God's glory and testify to God's goodness if we remain connected to Christ as the rock and the foundation of our lives. If you do that, even just a little bit well, even if your desire is just to make Christ the rock in your life, you will notice that everything else changes. And regardless of what the devil throws your way, he is nowhere near strong enough to thwart the plans of God in your life. May you remain, may you abide in the God who does the impossible and as we read in Scripture, has something even better than all of the stories in Scripture for you.